Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is The Informed Catholic. It's going to be episode 31, and we're going to do the um, the readings for the second week of Lent. So, um, let's begin with the, uh, let's start with the entrance antiphon, and we'll go into the act of contrition soon. The entrance antiphon is from Psalm 27. Of you my heart has spoken. Seek his face. It is your face, O Lord, that I seek. Hide not your face from me. And there's an alternative one here. This is from Psalm 25. Remember your compassion, O Lord, and your merciful love, for they are from of old. Let not your enemies exult over us. Redeem us, O God of Israel, from all your distress. Okay, so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so now we are in the second Sunday of Lent, second week of Lent. And um, so I've actually um, taken it quite serious uh, this year. Um, and it's not, it's not easy, but it wasn't also too hard. And I think a lot of it, I'll give you my personal experience when it comes to uh, fasting. First of all, yes, um, there is a part of me that wants to improve um, my, um, get rid of the bad habit, the bad habit and my, uh, my problem with, um, the sin of gluttony and the sin of, uh, of being, uh, in a sense, sloppy about my health because it is a sin. God gave us a body and we should realize that in a sense that not taking care of that body that he has given us because we are made in the image and like uh, it made in the image and likeness of God. And also in a sense, um, I was talking to my friend, Henry, um, a lot of it, uh, which is the, the sin of the seven deadly sins, um, has a lot to do with the fact of wanting to be happy and wanting to be in a sense, um, comfortable, uh, Maybe it also has a lot to do with uh, loneliness and not being loved. Okay. Um, part of me is almost reluctant of going down that road, but for some reason. But maybe we have to face the fact that there's truth in it. We have to face the fact that there is truth in the fact of unhappiness. I would say this. Um Maybe it's the fact of not feeling you're in control. Maybe that's it, right? Because we do want to be happy. That's true. And we do want to be maybe in some cases control, but we're not in control. And we're trying to find, I guess you can say, Maybe a safe space. There's, there's psychology. Sin, the one thing we, we, we have to realize this. Sin is a cosmic spiritual disease. 
cosmic in a sense when I'm using that word, it's everywhere. It's a disease that has shattered our relationship with God, has made it very difficult to get closer to him. It's a barrier between us and him. He didn't place it there. We placed it there. Our first parents placed it there. And it is a disease. It is a spiritual, cosmic disease. It is a psychological disease. It is a, a disease that affects us uh, geographically. It affects our impulses. It affects our passions. It affects our our um, our politics. It affects our um, our social behavior. Okay, it's in every corner and crevice of our lives. It's it's there. It affects how we behave. Yeah, yeah. social disease also affects us, uh, in a sense, relationship-wise, and how we think, how we think of one another, and how we see one another, and how we see ourselves. So we have to recognize the symptom and also uh, we have to re realize how it affects us psychologically, how we psychologically see ourselves and how we psychologically see other people. It's, you know, there's a lot going on there and maybe too much, let's say for, uh, for some people, it's out of our ballpark, but we have to recognize as Christians, this, this, this thing that affects us. Okay. Um, probably I would say that it's a comfort thing. And also the fact is it could be in a sense that the devil knows how to attack, let's say someone like myself in a self-esteem level you know, basically, and you have to recognize that. But once, what I did was, I focused not on myself alone. I focused that I'm going to use, offer myself as a prayer to God. My fa fasting has to be offered as a prayer. You have to offer it up as a prayer. You have to remove yourself, right? And the thing is, if I said it was going to be just for diet, diet alone, let me tell you something, it would fail right away. Because of the minute, the minute I start, it's a busy wet morning in New York um, on this Saturday. So if you, if I do that, if I use that, that same method, right? It would be just focusing on my, on my vanity. If I say I'm going to fast because I want to look handsome and I want to look good. Okay. I've tried that, that nonsense before. It doesn't work. It's mainly on a, on a superficial level and it's not on a spiritual level. This time I offered it up for the conversion of my brother. And also for the conversion of poor souls in purgatory. 
I also offered it up for what's happening in uh, the war between Ukraine and Russia, that there'll be peace among our 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 uh, fellow Orthodox Catholic uh, brethren up there. Uh, yeah, I did mention purgatory, the souls in purgatory. That's also important. Uh, that you know, also penance, uh, mortification to um, for my um, any past sins, any past uh, you know, for for wasting God's graces, all the gratitude He's given me all the chances he's given me and for the many times I've fallen over and over again, uh, basically. So yes, I, I'm doing, I'm putting, I'm putting others for, I'm trying to put others first. My, my brother, my mother, his conversion for the people of Ukraine, for the Holy souls of purgatory, for the conversion, uh, also for the offenses committed by, uh, fellow Catholics, like especially politicians, and for receiving Holy Communion in, uh, you know, in a in a in a sinful state, also for the fact that many Catholics support many things like abortion, contraception, including including all this uh, LGBT and transgender stuff, also for the offenses, you know, you you put you put there on a list. You're making amends. You're trying to make amends for everything that other people you want to you want to make atonement. You want to make mortification or um, reparation. That's the word I'm looking for. Reparation. It's not a word I use all the time, but reparation. You're you're offering you you're you're putting others. You're offering yourself in place of others. So I got up this week to make it a little bit easier. <clears throat> I had a very small mini bagel. <laughs> okay, just a small mini bagel, cup of hot tea. Uh, I would take this juice and some vitamins. And what I would do on my way to work, um, well, first, I would say a prayer with my mom on the table, our kitchen table. We have this Magnificat prayer book, and we would say the the mass readings for the day. Um, then there was a, a, another Catholic prayer book. We would do the uh, Apostles' Creed. We would say the Apostles' Creed together, which is a wonderful thing, the fact that we're doing this. Also, um, the act of faith, hope, and love, plus a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And then there's the prayer of Saint Ephraim, Ephraim uh, the Syrian, to the, Virgin, to the Blessed Virgin Mary. We're saying that every morning together, which is great. Also, um, then we say some other final prayers. And then, of course, I get ready, go brush my teeth, right? Uh, you know, before that, of course, before everything, I took a shower. And then after all that, I go off <clears throat> to work. And I always carry a rosary in my pocket. And then I would begin um, offering um, rosary prayers meditations, one for my brother's conversion, family, and then I would say, um, I said, I'm going to work, you can say three sets, all right, three sets, just go from one to the other without going back to the introductory prayer, 
to the rosary. And you could say for the people, uh, for purgatory and for the people of Ukraine. And that, trust me, um, the fact that you're praying for others will give you the grace that you need to persevere. Of course, I'm avoiding the cafeteria at work. <laughs> and yes, um, but it's not as, as easier because sometimes, you know, my fellow co-workers in the locker room are going to uh, uh, have their lunch. But you know what? If you keep focusing on what your target is, I'll have some water during the day. I have a bottle of salsa water in my locker and that usually helps. But yeah, I mean, it's not going to be easy because you got to remember um, prayer is, is also like spiritual muscle. The spiritual life is like spiritual muscle. You got to build yourself up a little bit. And I'm not saying I'm not going to have a fall. I did have a fall this week. Uh, a couple, About, what was it? Yeah, not this week. Was it this week? Yeah, one of my colleagues gave me an aluminum foil with a chocolate cake in it. Yes, I did eat it. <laughs> but um, it was that hovering moment because I didn't expect him to give it to me, but he, I'm standing there staring at it. <laughs> and I'm trying to like it was near the end of the day and I'm and I'm thinking you know if I throw it away it would be a sin should I give it back to him but it was also I didn't want to offend him but I think it was more because of my own selfish weakness for chocolate cake so but after that it didn't happen again it didn't happen again but the thing is you're going yes you are going to fall and it's human to fall but also but it's but the thing is, you got to remember, you pick yourself up and you start over again. And for the last couple of days, from the minute I walk out of the house at six o'clock, if I have to start eight in the morning, I, and I also, I would go several hours without drinking water. I try to do that for myself because I want to offer a dry fast. And as a prayer, I say to myself throughout the day, lucky thing, we're still wearing masks. So nobody sees me moving my lips. I don't look crazy to them. <laughs> that, you know, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God, the Father, I adore you and I praise you. For by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. So just slight change for the prayer that you say for uh, the stations of the cross. But I would say to myself throughout the day, and it helps it helps, you know, it helps, it helps a great deal. Okay. So that's enough, but I'm, you know, I mean, I'm probably going to have falls. It's not going to be perfect, but the point is, is that it's like I said, it's a spiritual muscle. It's a supernatural spiritual muscle. I think we all have to develop this. And my goal is I'm going to continue to do this even after Easter. Because what's the point of just doing it during, during Easter? We gain graces. We gain graces. And the thing is, when I go to the locker room, I you try you, you, you don't waste your time. 
you use that opportunity to pray. You use your, your opportunity to pray, to read the scriptures. You use that opportunity to, to channel, to, to get closer to God, to get closer to him. And, you know, to pray for others, you can pray for other people in their conversion. And I think we do gain graces when we put other people, we put other people ahead of ourselves. And, you know, I bought, you know, this guy Alvarez on Uniquely Mary says that the holy souls in purgatory can help us. They can help us because when they get, when we offer our prayers, even we don't know them. And that's the beauty about it. You're offering your prayers to a stranger who probably has been forgotten. Because remember, the saddest thing about death is that for people who were devout Christians, devout Catholics, or souls that God placed in purgatory, even if they're unbaptized, you can offer your prayer for a soul, just like you can offer your prayer for a living soul somewhere on earth, somewhere you know, someone you don't know, you say to God, I'm going to offer this prayer for someone out there who desperately needs someone to pray for them. It doesn't matter if you don't know their name. It doesn't matter. It could be someone out there who so desperately needs somebody to pray for them. And the, and the beautiful thing is they won't know whose prayer, whose rosary helped them. Someone who's so desperately in a, in a dark place at a moment where they could be hovering between heaven and hell and you can offer your prayer for them. You can offer your prayer for them. It could be a young girl who could be contemplating suicide or or, or someone who could be trapped in a horrible situation like sex trafficking um, or on drugs or, or, you know, anybody or some poor alcoholic uh, or businessman or someone who may have found themselves in a horrible situation where he could be thinking, contemplating suicide. And you could offer prayers for him or for her or anyone out there that could use our prayers and you could help them out of that situation. Now think about it in the eyes of God and also the only one who could help target those prayers, the one person who can help target those prayers, channel those prayers in the direction is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And God can never say no to her. So you we could be someone's prayer hero. Even like, think about it. Just like a superhero, no one knows who's that mass person is who saved them, right? You could be the prayer hero, their unknown prayer hero for them. And you, and you, we won't find, we won't know each other. You won't know each other till you get to heaven and you gain graces. You gain graces here on earth for putting, for putting others ahead of yourself. So really, really think about that. Focus on that. You know, focus on that because that's the beauty of our Catholic life is that we can pray for others. And when we fast, here's a beautiful thing. You should realize this. Fasting is a weapon. 
And Alvarez said this, and I believe this, and uniquely Mary, he said this, and I think this is true, is self-exorcism. It's self-exorcism because you are denying your um, carnal appetite. Uh, gluttony is the carnal appetite, just like sexual appetite. But also, when, you're, when I'm praying, I'm also praying for the grace of chastity. Okay, now riding the New York City subway and walking through New York City and and riding the bus, there's always, yeah, I mean, have you ever noticed? I mean, you got these young women, these women wearing these ridiculous tight exercise outfits that, you know, they're trying to look like the models on, that they see on TV. And, and there's a lot of like immodest dressing, especially, you know, in Manhattan, there's a lot of these young Catholic schoolgirls, teenagers, and they dress in a way that is absolutely uh, ridiculous for a young woman to dress. And they want to look, they, they're, they're doing this because they want to compete. They're doing this because they want to be within a social, social circle. So they want to look attractive and a lot of the, a lot of it is just a modest way of dressing. I mean, it's just too much. And you know, and I'm a guy, and I, you know, I can still look at a pretty woman, attractive woman, and find a woman attractive. And I work in a museum, and a lot of them, you know, trust me, there's this, there's this school of Mary Knoll, I believe. It's right across the street from where I work. And I work at a museum, and they come and. They're anything, I hate to say this, it's sad, but Catholic. They're, Catholic. they're supposed to be Catholic. Okay, the young women wear those Catholic school dresses way above the knee. All right, way above, practically the thighs are showing. And they're young. They're young women. And even their school instructors don't tell, don't correct them on this. They should not be dressing that way, but they are. And there's a lot of women who come in, older women, in their 20s and everything. And now we're heading towards the warm weather. So now comes out all the competition. So yes, temptation is everywhere. And so I'm praying for the eye, chastity, chastity of the eyes, chastity of the mind, chastity of the heart, and chastity of the body. So you have to pray for these things because, and, and I'm not being prudish. I'm saying is, especially for, okay, just from a man's perspective, okay, not, not saying that women don't have these same temptations. Of course, everyone does. You, you need heroic chastity. You need manly chastity. And I've heard many guys talk about this. Manly chastity, which is important. And it's the grace. It's the grace. You gain graces for the soul. And, and these graces for the soul can get us closer to God. We pray for this. Okay. Just the will alone is not going to do it, but the will is important, but the will and the heart and the grace to not look. It's hard, but it's practice. It's spiritual practice. It's spiritual muscle. 
And once you gain these graces, it also will improve your will not, not to look at pornography, not to look at images. On my phone, I've been blocking these things. And I think it's important that we got to do it because once you pray for this grace, you pray for it. You really are sincere and you really want it. God will give it to you. The Blessed Mother will help you access it and you will gain it. And you will gain the strength to, to persevere it. So Lent is a spiritual purging period, a spiritual detoxing period. And the devil wants this humility. The devil cannot fight fasting if you ask for the grace to persevere. And he cannot fight uh, humility, which is you're honest to God about your sins. And you're honest about it also to yourself. And you will gain those graces. You will gain. We will all gain them. All of us. Not saying that we won't fall, ever fall. We will fall especially if we're not on top of it. Okay, let's let's continue. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray for me and with me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, so sorry if I went a little longer on that um, that introduction, um, but um, I felt that it was important because I know how hard it is, and I know how disappointing it is when you we um, fail. Uh, especially in fasting during Lent, because Lent is, like I said, it's a journey. Okay, that's another important thing I should add. It's a journey to, with Jesus. Uh, the stations of the cross are great, but remember, I also I set up, I decided to put together my own personal devotion, which was the, um, the rosary, focusing on Jesus in the desert. The first decade is um, after the baptism our Lord goes into the desert he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights he hasn't he doesn't eat you know eat or drink uh, and he's with the wild beasts and he is famished and then the devil comes to put him to the test that's the first decade the the second decade, which is the first temptation, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. The Lord responds. The third decade, which is the second temptation, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and places him on top of the temple. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down 
For isn't it written, I will have your the angels in charge of you, or you so at least you gash your foot against a stone. And the response is from our Lord, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Third, uh, fourth decade, third temptation. It takes him to the top of a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. I will give to anyone, for it's my right to give this, you know, to give this to anyone, if you would fall down and worship me. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only unto him. And then the fifth one, he goes back into Galilee and he walks past the Jordan and John sees him. And then John looks at him intently and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then two of Jesus, two of John's disciples follow Jesus, Philip and Andrew. And Jesus asked him, whom, you, whom do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, we want to know where you're staying. And he said, come and see. And it is four o'clock in the afternoon when they first met him. They're recalling the hour. So why these? Because one, bread is focusing on lust of the body, food and lust, the weakness of the body, the flesh. Can also uh, food gluttony leads to lust, lust leads to gluttony, and it basically is the carnal pleasures. So you're focusing on all the temptations that you need to admit that you're, you're the weakness you have. The other one is vanity. Cast yourself down, showing off the need for attention, the need to to have the world look at you. You want to be popular. You want to be famous. You want people to compliment you. Ooh, look at, you know, look what he can do. Look what she can do. The other one, the third one, which is the, the, te- the kingdoms of the world, is idolatry, power, fame, which is, again, related to, to vanity, but also is going after earthly idols, Earthly idols, things that we need to cut off, like things we need to pay attention to, worshiping other people, admiring other people, admiring vain things, vain toys, you know, like the comic book collection, whatever it is, all these things, they're they're nice, but they're, but also like putting other things before God, putting other things before God, like sports like movies, like politicians, you know, you know, chasing after people that don't care about you, things like that. It, it's a doorway that Jesus is showing us to look at ourselves, to really take a good, honest picture, look at yourself. So yeah, take those things and Try them out. See if it works for you. I think it, I cannot believe it doesn't. Now, I know some people thinking, you can't make up your own rosary meditations. Yes, you can. The gospel, the rosary is the gospel. You can take other scenes from there. If you, and I'm going to tell you, it does work. 
okay, it does work because you're not, you're not, you're not weaving your own gospel story. You're taking it from the Lord's life. Okay, and it can work. So, so please understand this. Louis Monfort, other saints have done it. Okay, there's a seven chaplet rosary, which is focusing on the seven sorrows of Mary. There's also, you know, I think, you know, you can take the scene like, like, for example, we don't take the part about the children of Bethlehem being slaughtered. That's not in there in, in the joyful mysteries, right? But it's, well, it's called the joyful mystery. So that's not a joyful mystery, but it is sorrowful. Right? Herod wants to murder the, our Lord. That's something to meditate on. It's, it's what about comparing that to abortion? Right? It's all there. You can put it together. You know, Joseph and Mary fleeing into Egypt. That's, a, that, that's also like a, a, the sorrows of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Right? Living away from your own culture. I'm just saying, focus on those. You know, you can put it together, but focus on the temptation. Focus on the moment he's baptized, he's driven by the Holy Spirit out into the desert. And he's there 40 days and 40 nights among the wild beasts. And he fasted, ate and drank nothing. And afterward, he was hungry. And then the tempter finally comes at that moment of, you know, when his body is finally hungry to try to get him when he's weak. Then the stones turn to stones to bread. Cast the second or the third one. Cast yourself off the, uh, the top of the temple. And then the fourth, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will worship me. And then the fifth, Jesus returns to Galilee and he, he walks by the Jordan John sees him on his way to Galilee through the Jordan. John sees him and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think it's, I think, you know, honestly, I like it for this, for Lent time. It's a, it's a great time to do it. And you can go right into the, to the, uh, luminous mysteries because from here you go into the luminous mysteries and I think it's great. And then, you know, you can go into the sorrowful mysteries. You're completing the whole life of our Lord. And it works. All right. Let's go to the first reading here. Okay. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 5 to 12, 17 to 18. God made a covenant with Abraham his faithful servant, a reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If you can, just so, he added, shall your descendants be. Abram put his faith in the Lord, who credited to him as an act of righteousness. He then said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as a possession. Oh Lord, God, he asked, how can I, how, how can, he said, I'm sorry. Oh Lord God, he asked, how am I to know that I shall 
possess it? He answered him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram brought him all these. He split them in two and placed each half opposite the other. But the birds he did not cut up. Birds of prey swooped down on the carcasses, but Abram stayed with them. As the sun was about to set, a trance fell upon Abram. A deep, terrifying darkness involved him. When the sun had set and it was dark, there appeared a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch which passed between those pieces. It was on that occasion that the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river at the Euphrates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So this is a very important story. He's right now. He's called Abram, not Abraham. I hope I didn't say the wrong name, but his name is Abram. And I love this part where he, God brings him out of his tent and he tells him to look up at the sky and count the stars. And it seems like a very mystical, intimate moment because you want you want to experience that. You desperately want to experience that intimacy with God, that moment. I always kind of picture sort of like the stars are brighter. Like they're just more brighter. They're just more. I mean, in the Middle East, you can definitely see the stars because you don't have the interference. Over here in like New York, you barely can see them. But the only time I ever saw them when we had that big blackout in New York and you can look up and you can see the stars for the first time. It's really beautiful. You know, you could see more stars that I think than you can ever see if, you know, because you're blocked by all the lights in New York and it's very cloudy around here but maybe if you go further away from the city like to the mountains you could see them more but it's really beautiful over there in the Middle East you can definitely see them Um, it's he tells them to count them and you'll be your descendants will be like the stars of heaven and and he's and he's and I love this part here. Um, he added, uh, "Shall your descendants be?" Abraham put his faith in the Lord, who credited it to him as an act of righteousness. Putting your faith in the Lord is an act of righteousness. Putting your faith in God, like Abraham did, is an act of righteousness. How can you, how can any of us argue with that? If you're hearing noise in the background, it's because of rain. Um, He then said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans, from Iraq, which is Iraq, to give you this land as a possession. And then he he says, oh Lord God, he asked, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He answered him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. That's a bull. That's a young bull, 
which is a symbol of the priesthood, which is the priesthood of Aaron and the priesthood of Christ. Okay, because Christ himself is the high, it will, is the ultimate high priest. And a she, a three-year-old she-goat and a three-year-old ram. All right, why a three-year-old she-goat and a three-year-old ram? I'm going to assume the ram is male. This is a little, um, I would, I would assume I'm going to say this. I could be wrong. So this is not definitive. I'm not going to say it's absolutely a, 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 a correct interpretation, but I'm going to think, I'm going to think that the three-year-old she-goat is going to represent that of his mother. Uh, I'm not saying it's positive, but I'm saying because she who will give birth to him, she will suffer watching his death. The three-year-old ram, I'm going to assume, is going to be is going to be Christ, because Christ will offer himself as a sacrifice, right, as a victim. The 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 the, the heifer is is representative of his priesthood. And the three-year-old she-goat, because he's, because for some reason he, he makes it quite clear the gender of the goat, the of God. So I'm going to assume it represents his mother uh, uh, giving birth to him. Three years represents the three years of ministry of Christ. Each one is three years old, right? Okay, you, you got the three-year-old three-year-old heifer, you got the three-year-old she-goat. Okay, I'm not saying that the she-goat is, the, you know, definitive, but it, defend, it it presents sort of like the mother of the victim. The mother of the victim. Why not a lamb at this point? Maybe because we're not getting to the point of the sacrifice. Maybe because we're still in the Old Testament period. And the three-year-old ram because remember, it was a ram that got his head caught when, when, when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. So the ram represents Christ. So three, three, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine, sort of like, almost like a novena. Right? And he's going to offer, and he's going to put them, he's going to sacrifice them. Then he said these birds, um, split them in two and place each a half opposite the other. But the birds he did not cut up. Birds, you know, birds. So, oh, sorry. The, he then, then he's in a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Interesting. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. Um, I'm going to assume that the turtle dove of course, obviously, is the Holy Spirit and the young pigeon. I'm going to say these two birds will represent the um, the Old and New Testament. The pigeon will represent the Old Testament, and the and the dove will represent the New Testament. All right, and then of course, then it mentions the birds of prey. Uh, I mean, the birds, the birds he didn't cut up. He, the birds he didn't cut up. So the birds he didn't cut up, obviously, 
because they represent the two testaments. The other ones represent the, 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 the priesthood. You gotta remember also, this is before the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So this is the priestly sacrifice that's gonna be pointing to the sacrifice, the priestly sacrifice of the Old Testament under, which is, you know, leading up to the sacrifice of Christ. Okay, so that's why we remember it's, you know, this is centuries, centuries before, even before Moses, before the, before the covenant of Sinai. So the two birds will represent the, two, the, the Old and New Testament in the future. Then, of course, you know, Abraham got into a trance and, he, and into a, a sleepy meditation. God comes to him. And, and then there's a, a, this is a part that's always very interesting here, the a cauldron or a pot. Uh, passed between a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, which passed between those pieces. It was on this occasion that the Lord made a covenant with him, with Abraham. So here's what I'm going to think here again. A smoking, um, a, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. I'm going to bet, I'm going to say this, that one represents the sacrifice of the Old Testament, the fire pot, and the flaming torch represents the New Testament. Passing through the sacrifices. One could imagine that the torch could also represent the fires of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because you got to think about it here. There's two, two, two flaming objects. One is a smoking, uh, a smoking fire pot. He uses the word smoking. It doesn't say flaming fire pot, a smoking fire pot. So you can imagine that could represent the altar of the Old Testament. And then the torch, a flaming torch. And a torch is like, what do you use the torch for? The torch is like to lead the way. Someone holds it in their hand and leading the way so to, to on, on, on a dark path. So the path, you know, I'm going to say the torch is the New Testament. The, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And one is a dove. Remember, he didn't cut the doves up. He didn't cut the dove or the pigeon up. So one is, you know, the, right now these animals are going to be used for sacrifice for people in the Old Testament, for poor people. So it represents also those in poor, in a poor state, you know, the poor people, the poor penitent. And then you got the sacrifices that he cut up, the heifer, the she-goat, and the ram. They represent, they're pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, but not complete yet. Later on, right, the, the, um, remember the, in, the, in the sacrifice of the Testament, there's two goats. One goat takes the sins of the people. The other goat is the scapegoat, which was like Barabbas going out into the, you know, who 
who was acquitted and sent out into the world. So it's very interesting. So God Abram, God shows him his descendants, which will be all those who will come into faith, the stars of heaven. Then he tells him to, <clears throat> that I will give you the land. The land represents paradise that one day will be for all people who, who Christ, who will be a descendant of Abraham for all the world and everyone who will enter paradise. Then he tells him to get a, a three-year heifer, which is symbol of the priesthood, a three-year-old she-goat. Okay, you can also say it's Israel. Okay, you can say it's Israel. And a three-year-old ram. I, we could also say, yes, it could represent Christ and it could represent, uh, in a sense, the uh, the kingdom or the, the royalty the royalty of Christ, the royalty of, of the line of Christ, of the line of David, right? And then he tells them to cut them into two. Again, representing the Old and New Testament. The Old and New Testament. The dove also represents the Old and New Testament. I mean, the dove and the pigeon. The pigeon represents the Old Testament. The dove could represent the New Testament. Then you got a, a flaming fire, a smoking fire pot and a torch, again, representing, also it could also point to the two natures of Jesus, divine and human, because two also represent, can represent that, his, his, his humanity and his, 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 and his divinity. And, the, and he puts them on, um, he put he places each um on the uh, the sacrifices he places them on on the uh, the wood the which is supposed to be the the altar the altar one day which will be the altar of Christ the cross so this this represents the the covenant the covenant of mount sinai and the covenant of Jesus on Calvary and also in the upper room. So this is one way we can look at, we can understand this. It's not, I'm not going to say it's definitive because I'm sure there's better interpretations, but I think for, for us, it's a fair way of looking at this. I think it's a, a good way of understanding this because, you know, you got, Three. Here's another interesting thing. I, I just oh, I just realized <clears throat> the heifer, the she goat, and the ram. It's a type picture of the Trinity. The type picture of the Trinity. Right, the heifer, the she goat. Right. Each one is three years old. Each one is three years old, if you notice. Three years old, which is also a type picture of the Trinity. Uh, a three-year-old red heifer. A uh, three-year-old heifer. I'm going to assume it's a red heifer. A three-year-old she-goat. And a three-year-old ram. <clears throat> now, I said the three-year-old she-goat is a type figure pointing to the Virgin Mary. Now I know that don't get offended. 
But the point is, we don't know yet it's going to be the Virgin Mary. Because right now, it's you could also say it's Israel. But you got to point to the fact that, you know, we're looking at it from far away. God is pointing to it from far away because right now, no one is, is going to be able to see it until it's, until it's made clear, until God reveals that reveals the, the, the Immaculate Conception. I'm just pointing this out that it's, you got to look at it from, from that perspective from far away. It's not meant to be an insult. It's meant to be like a type figure that's not yet made clear. God is hiding it. He's, he's, he's not making it clear yet. Because this is way, just remember, this is not too long after the fall. We just had the fall. We just had the, the, the flood of Noah. We just had the, the Tower of Babel. Uh, we just had all those things. Now we have Abraham coming into the scene. And things are unraveling slowly. But it's, we can see it. And we probably at this point, it's not made clear to Abraham. Because remember, Sarah... Hagar and all the women of the Old Testament are type figures pointing to the Virgin Mary, but then, but these are imperfect images, imperfect women. But it's slowly, one day, they will all be replaced by the Immaculate Conception. It's all hidden. All right, let's let's move on. Let's move on. So Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 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 Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Hear, O Lord, the sound of my call. Have pity on me and answer me. Of you my heart speaks. You my glance seeks. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. One more time. Hear, O Lord, the sound of my call. Have pity on me and answer me. Of you my heart speaks. You my glance seeks. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Your, your presence, O Lord, I seek. Hide not your face from me. Do not anger, repel your servant. You are my helper. Cast me not off. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Your presence, O Lord, I seek. Hide not your face from me. Do not anger. Do not in anger repel your servant. You are my helper. Cast me not off. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted. Wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted. Wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation.
second reading. Uh, it's going to be from uh, a reading from St. Paul's letter to the, to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, 4, verse 1. Actually, I think it's going to be a longer one here. Yeah. Okay. I'm not exactly sure how they're... I hate it when they, they give you two different versions, but it's going to be from 3... From three seventeen to four one, from chapter three seventeen to four and one, Christ will change our our lowly bodies to conform with His glorified body. <clears throat> a reading from a letter of Saint Paul, uh, the Philipp to the Philippians. Sorry about it. I hope it's not ruining the uh, the sound effect. Um, the recording that is <clears throat> it's raining heavily okay join with join others in being imitators of me brethren and observe those who thus who uh, who thus conduct themselves according to the model you have in us for many as i have often told you and now tell you, even in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their ch shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we, we also wait, uh, await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjugation to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I have, I have, I love and long for my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord. One more time. Join with others in being imitators of me. Brethren, and observe those who thus conduct themselves according to the model you have in us. For many, as I have often told you and now tell you, even in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we from it, we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our lowly body into, and to conform with his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjugation to himself. Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord. So here we have Paul saying, be imitators, uh, join with others in being imitators of me. So by imitating him, we're imitating Christ. Remember, Paul never met Jesus in person while Jesus was here on earth during his three-year ministry. Paul encountered the glorified, risen Christ. Not that it's not a different Christ, it's the same Jesus, but the the this is basically, he wasn't one of the 12 apostles, original 12. 
He came many years later, Paul. Paul was a convert into the faith. He was the first someone who persecuted the faith, and then he converted he, on the road to Damascus. But you see here, he is saying, by, because we, when we imitate the teacher, the, the, the instructor, we also imitate Christ. All right, we imitate him in in the manner of behavior. So, you know, we we're, we all we are always reading spiritual masters, right? We're reading the gospel. We're reading the letters of Peter. We're reading the letters of Paul. We're reading uh, John's letters. We're reading the you know we're learning. We're, we are learning about Christ through them, because they they themselves knew Christ, and so therefore we are we are imitating what we learn from them. Christ Christ Jesus said, he who hears you, hears me. He he who accepts you, accepts me. So yes, we are imitating Jesus through others. And, and, you know, we do it through St. Augustine. We do it through uh, St. Ignatius. We do it through St. Ambrose. We do it through St. John Bosco. We do it through St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, We do it through... um, uh, you know, John Paul II, we learn about Jesus through uh, Benedict XVI. We learn, we learn from all of them. We learn from them. And we, 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 in a sense, put on the Lord Jesus Christ as they put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also do it, by the way, at least, at least anyone accuses me, St. Clair, St. Teresa of Avila. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, um, St. Edith Stein. Um, we, we learn about Jesus through them. You know, St. Felicity, St. Uh, you know, other, like other saints, um, I'm sorry, um, wait, the Blessed Mother. The Blessed Mother is St. Mary Magdalene, um, St. Perpetua. Right, we learn from them. We um, Bernadette Subiru, Saint Bernadette Subiru. We learn from them. We learn from them, and we we learn about Christ through them. That's that that's that's what we're learning here. But he is also here. He's warning us um, about others who the others who have fallen away, others who become heretics and fallen away. Um, for many, as I, I to, often told you now, tell you even in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. These are people who obviously knew the gospel and, tur- and, and turned away from the gospel and become enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomachs. Uh, interesting, the word stomach here, right? I mean, after what I was telling you earlier about my gluttony. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things. Now, why? Why would he say that? Because these are people who are just using the gospel for their own personal gain. They're using the gospel for their own personal business to get rich. It's like today you got all these evangelical ministers. They, they're literally... Their gospel, their ministry is their business. Their ministry is their business. I mean, that's the thing that really gets to me is that 
it's not just a church they're running, it's a business they're running. Right? That's that's the thing. You hear about all these like Creflo Dollar and and these other uh other um uh, like uh Olstein. Osteen, Joe Osteen. It's not just his ministry. It's it's not just a ministry he's running. It's a business. And I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I'm sorry to say this, but it's true. It's it's a, it's actually a business. It's not about saving souls. It's a business. You hear about them in, like in Brazil and you think to yourself, how do these people live with themselves with this way? It's not just, yes, yes. Oh, obviously we, we, you know, because remember our priests take a vow of poverty. Our monks take a vow of poverty. They own nothing. The main purpose is to, to minister the gospel, to win souls for Christ. And yes, of course, the church needs to be taking care of the bills and everything. But these men don't, the, the, our priests are not supposed to be business people. And they're not. But obviously, you need, to, you need to find ways to spread the gospel. But for these other people, it's actually their bread and butter. And they dress well. They look well. I mean, Joel Steen has that beautiful Colgate smile. You got to admit it. His hair looks good and he smiles and everything. And it's, it's a, it's, it's really a tough thing. That's why one of the things I don't like about Protestantism, it is a business. And he goes on to say here, um, um, you know, he says that their, their stomach, their, their, their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our body to conform with his glorified body to, by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjugation to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. That's That's a beautiful thing, because we have to... We have to um, mortify ourselves. Christianity is not meant to be an easy faith. It's not an easy faith. But a lot of these other guys, they preach a, a uh, health and wealth gospel. A health and wealth gospel, basically, you do this for God and God will do this for you. So give me a certain amount of money and I promise you the Lord will send you a blessing. You're going to get that job. You're going to get that car. You're going to get that beautiful wife. You're going to get her. You're going to get that beautiful wife and everything. No. Our, our purpose is to mortify ourselves, to get closer to Christ. And we also, we witness to others, you know, not beating them over the head. We pray for them. We try to be their friend. We, we share the gospel with them gently by, our, by how we live. Not showing off. But by basically being someone they can they can can um, trust, being someone that they can come to whenever they need comfort, and we slowly introduce them to the gospel by our conduct, by our friendship, by our sincerity. 
and by our love. And we remember them in prayer. That's another important thing. Remember people in prayer. Pray, remember, for the, remember to pray for people. Don't just say it, do it. All right, let's move on from there. Okay, now the gospel. The verse before the gospel is from Matthew 17, 5. From the shining cloud, the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And um, the gospel is going to be from Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 36. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance and his clothing became dazzling white. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Pray glory to you, Jesus. Jesus took Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him as they were about to part from him. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them and they became frightened when they entered the cloud. They became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice. A voice that said, this is my chosen son. Listen to him. And after the voice had spoken, Jesus found, was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right. This is one of the greatest ones. And I love, I actually, I like Luke's. Uh, because of one word that Luke uses here, Exodus. All right, so let's look over this. Jesus took Peter, John, and James, the two uh, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and they went up on the mountain to pray. Now, interesting, he takes with him, all right, the four of them together, I'm going to say this, the four of them together, Jesus, our Lord Jesus, Peter, James and John. There's four of them together up in the mountain. All right, I was about to say three, but there's four of them. If you don't count our Lord, it's only Peter, James, and John. Kind of like the three of them representing the Trinity, but the four, counting our Lord, could represent the four Gospels. All right, and they're going up on the mountain to pray. Now, mountain mountains are always... Even among the pagans, it's a place where you meet the gods. And in Christian, obviously in, in the Jewish Christian context, you're going to meet God because there's no gods, there's God. But like Moses had to climb up the mountain and then, you know, to, to listen to God, to hear God, sort of like going to the top floor 
of the CEO. <laughs> In a sense, you can say that. That's what you're doing. You're climbing the top to the, to the corporate chief officer, which is obviously the Lord himself. Now, you go up there, you're, you're encountering God, and you're going to have a meeting with the top boss, obviously, which is God himself. Now, up there, up there, obviously, uh, just like in ancient uh, cultures like the Greeks, they had Mount Olympus. Um, in Among the Vikings, you had Asgard all the way up there on top of Midgard or Middle Earth, as, as, as they would also refer to it. <clears throat> now, as they were praying, obviously something happens here. And his face became dazzling. Uh, his face changed in appearance and his clothes. He became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him. Suddenly, these two men appeared. They just appeared. And they were conversing, having a conversation with our Lord. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, they were concerned. These were two figures, two important figures and they wanted to have a private audience with our Lord. They, were, they wanted to have a private audience with our Lord. That's basically what you get from it. They wanted to have a, 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 they were concerned. How are you going to accomplish this? What exactly are you going to do? And the thing is, the term is Exodus from Jerusalem. Exodus from Jerusalem. That's the, that's, that's the word that actually get you know really grabs my attention here it really it it narrows it down that you know he he was he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem why why exodus from Jerusalem he's going to accomplish in Jerusalem because the purposes i think is that Moses and Elijah knew that the covenant the word of God was only confined only to the Jewish people. That God's covenant was not going to be complete until it goes out into the world. And this is, this is, this is important. It has to be, it has to go out. In other words, right now, just Jerusalem alone was not completing the word of God, was not the law of God, the gospel was not complete. It was not complete as long as it's just confined to Jerusalem, to the Jewish people. It has to go out. It has to go out into the world. And that's why I think Moses and Elijah would notice where we're speaking this. I mean, both Moses was the lawgiver, was the one who received the law and gave the law. Elijah was a reformer and he went around because remember what happened in his days, the Jewish people were, were, were apostatizing. They were going into Baal worship. And in many cases, I think why would be Elijah be concerned because Elijah was reflected in John the Baptist. And you know what John did? John was, was calling people out of Jerusalem to the Jordan river. 
So if the faith remains in among, I think, among Jewish people, if it remained just with them, they, to them, their whole world was the temple. And to them, their whole world was the the sacrifices, the sacrifices that they were, they were, they were performing every day. That was their faith. They were putting their faith in the sacrifices and the rituals, which, in a sense, you can say, can become paganistic, can become a heathenistic thing. Because the because that's meant to be temporary from a Christian point of view, it's meant to be temporary. All that was accomplished in our in our Lord Jesus Christ in His sacrifice. And what did he do? Where did he take the, where was the sacrifice taken? His sacrifice was done outside the walls of Jerusalem. If he died within the walls of Jerusalem, it would have been just for the Jewish people. But he is, he was found, he was put on trial. He was found, uh, you know, they, they, they condemned him in the Jewish trial. Then he was condemned in the pagan trial. Pilate kind of represented Caesar in a, as a, as a pagan, as a pagan priest, but still, because he, you know, he was a pontiff. He was like a pope. Like we use the word pontiff, a government, a, a government figure, but with a uh, a divine a divine function as well. And he washed his hands, and then he sent him out. And when did he get crucified? Not within the walls of Jerusalem, outside the walls of Jerusalem, on a mountain. Kind of like in the middle of a road, really, kind of place, really. But still, that was the function. That was the whole purpose. Once that was done, that's it. The new covenant was established outside the walls of Jerusalem. And it was it was a sacrifice done by both Jews and Gentiles. All right, so therefore now the new altar is outside of Jerusalem. First, Jesus did his, his Passover within the walls. And why? Because that was the new Passover. They were getting to ready to leave Jerusalem soon. The gospel, the message of God was now accomplished and they're getting ready the night before before his, his death, the day before his death. And he, he took everybody who followed him outside the walls, a new exodus. And the new covenant was established. And now it can go out to the whole world. The Holy Spirit came. Yes, it was again within the walls of Jerusalem. But then it was going to be outside. Their mission was to go outside because the Spirit cannot be contained in one place. Mary herself was the tent of meeting, the meeting place. She was there among them. So this is how we are to look at it. And we ourselves are part of that exodus. Every city we live in, we have to perform an exodus. We have to win souls and we have to leave the city in the same way we have to leave this world because our new heavenly place is Jerusalem. This is how we, this is, I think, how we are to look at it. And the voice came from heaven. Because remember, Peter wanted to build, this was during the time, the Feast of Booth, the Feast of Tabernacles. And they wanted to build one for each one, kind of like a tabernacle. But there will be a tabernacle in every single neighborhood, in every single city around the world. Wherever there's the church, wherever there's Christians, there will be a tabernacle where it will contain the body and blood of our Lord. That's That's been accomplished. And, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You know, and you know. You know, Jesus was, uh, he said, this is, this is my chosen son. Listen to him. 
and they and they almost like they almost collapsed they fell on silent and did not at the time tell anyone jesus was found alone afterward jesus was found alone and they fell silent and and jesus t jesus said uh for for that time not to tell anyone what they had seen or heard because it wasn't ready yet all right let's move on from here i believe in one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end i believe in the holy spirit the lord the giver of life who proceeds from the father and the son who with the father and the son is adored and glorified he has spoken through the prophets i believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church i confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Okay, um, we'll say a, a Hail Mary for the Holy Father, Pope Francis, and uh, we'll say it for uh, Pope Benedict as well. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. We'll say a Hail Mary for the people of Ukraine. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And we're going to say a Hail Mary for the nation of Russia as well. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now at the hour of our death, amen. And we'll say a Hail Mary for peace between the two nations. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And we'll say a Hail Mary for those who are going through difficult economic times that we're going through right now because... It is for some people, for a lot of people, is going to be difficult because of the recession that's happening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. And we'll say uh, the St. Michael prayer. St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits 
and prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. All right, folks. Um, God bless, and uh, I'll try to come back with more podcasts, but um, it's kind of difficult um, with the work week and the work schedule I have, but hopefully I'll, I'll pick up a little bit more hours where I can uh, have time to do it. God bless.